a focused summary of chapters 37 through 40 of Pride and Prejudice. After making his parting obeisance to Colonel Fitzwilliam and Mr. Darcy, Mr. Collins hastens to Rosings to console Lady Catherine. He returns with the happy news that she is desirous of having them dine with her. Elizabeth is amused to imagine what Lady Catherine's indignation would have been if she had been presented as her future niece. At dinner, Lady Catherine bemoans the loss of the young men's company and says that they too were excessively sorry to go. She observes that Darcy seemed to feel it most acutely, and she credits his growing attachment to Rosings and herself. Observing that Elizabeth appears out of spirits, and attributing this mood to her impending departure, Lady Catherine insists that Elizabeth extend her stay. Elizabeth thanks her for her kindness, but says she must abide by her original plan. Lady Catherine orders Mr. Collins to send a servant to accompany them, declaring it improper for them to travel alone, and boasting of how she saw to it that her niece Georgiana had two men-servants to accompany her to Ramsgate. Her continued questions about the journey provide Elizabeth with some relief from reflection on unpleasant recollections. Elizabeth had studied every sentence of Mr. Darcy's letter so minutely that she almost knew it by heart. Reading it, she experienced a range of emotions, from indignation to compassion to gratitude and even to respect, but never could she approve him or repent her refusal. Those parts that prompted her to reflect on the defects of her family made her feel a heavy chagrin. Catherine was weak-spirited and irritable, Lydia self-willed and careless, and both girls ignorant, idle, and vain. Their mother indulged them, and their father only laughed at them, so there was little chance they would ever improve. Mr. Darcy's explanation in regard to Jane had restored Elizabeth's good opinion of Mr. Bingley, which meant she felt a heightened sense of all that Jane had lost— and a horror that the loss was brought about by the folly of her own family. When the development of Wickham's character was added to all these reflections, it was no wonder that Elizabeth's usually happy spirits were depressed. After a final week of frequent engagements at Rosings, they part from Lady Catherine, who, with great condescension, invites them to come again the next year. On the morning of her departure, Elizabeth is paid parting civilities by Mr. Collins, with his usual blend of servility and self-importance. He expresses gratitude for her condescension in coming to their humble abode, and boasts of his ability to introduce her into the company of Lady Catherine. He ends by awkwardly suggesting Elizabeth must now see that Charlotte has made a good match, and by wishing her equal felicity in marriage. Elizabeth regrets having to leave her friend in such society, but she recalls that Charlotte chose it with her eyes open and does not seem to ask for compassion. After an affectionate parting between the friends, Mr. Collins attends Elizabeth to the carriage, commissioning her with respects to all her family, including those he has never met. Maria joins her, and as the carriage drives off, remarks on how many things have happened. Elizabeth agrees with a sigh. Maria exclaims over how much she will have to tell, while Elizabeth thinks about how much she will have to conceal. Arriving at the gardener's house, Elizabeth is relieved to find Jane looking well, 
but she looks forward to going home with her to Longbourn, where she can study her at leisure. It takes great effort, meanwhile, to withhold all the news about Darcy, but she has not yet decided how much she ought to share. In the second week of May, Maria, Jane, and Elizabeth go to Hertfordshire, where Mr. Bennet's carriage is to meet them at an inn. They are met by Kitty and Lydia, who triumphantly display a table of food with which they intend to treat them. But they need to borrow the money for it, because they had spent their own at the hat shop across the street. When Lydia produces her purchase, her sisters abuse it as ugly. She defends herself by saying, among other things, that it won't matter what one wears that summer, since the officers are leaving Meryton. Elizabeth hears this news with the greatest satisfaction. Lydia is dreaming of a delicious scheme to follow them to Brighton, but Elizabeth thinks such a scheme would do them in once and for all. As they sit down at the table, Lydia says with excitement that she has capital news to share about someone they all like. Mary King has moved to Liverpool, and there is no danger that Wickham will marry her. Jane expresses a benevolent hope that neither of them had a strong attachment. Lydia coarsely expresses the impossibility that Wickham could have for such a nasty, freckled little thing. And Elizabeth faults herself for having harbored similar sentiments, though she would never have said them aloud. When they have finished eating and loaded all their party and the parcels into the carriage, they set off for home. Along the way, Lydia and Kitty endeavor to amuse their companions with endless idle gossip. Elizabeth listens as little as she can, but there is no escaping the frequent mention of Wickham's name. They are received at Longbourn by Mr. and Mrs. Bennet and the Lucases, each with their own subjects of interest. Mrs. Bennet rejoices at Jane's undiminished beauty. Mrs. Lucas inquires after the welfare of her eldest daughter, and Mr. Bennet says more than once how glad he is that Lizzie has come back. Kitty and Lydia tell Mary all about the fun they had, treating their sisters to dinner and talking and laughing in the coach so loud they could have been heard from ten miles off. Mary replies that such pleasures have no charms with her. But Lydia, who seldom listens to anyone, and never to Mary, does not hear her. That afternoon, Lydia is eager already to walk to Meryton, but Elizabeth opposes the idea. She does not want it to appear that the Bennets cannot be home half a day before they are off in pursuit of the officers, and more, she dreads to see Mr. Wickham. She looks forward to the regiment's removal. The next morning, Elizabeth relates to Jane what happened with Mr. Darcy, suppressing the particulars with which her sister was concerned. Jane's astonishment is soon lessened by the belief that any admiration of Elizabeth is perfectly natural. And though she is sorry he delivered his sentiments so poorly, she is sorrier still for the unhappiness her sister's refusal must have given him. Elizabeth reassures her that he has other feelings that will soon drive away his regard. She then tells her all the contents of the letter as far as they concern George Wickham. After endeavoring in vain to clear one without condemning the other, Jane is forced to accept that there is only enough merit between them to make one good man. She feels all the more sorry for Mr. Darcy having to endure such disappointment and Elizabeth's ill opinion, too. She says Elizabeth must feel the distress of it, but Elizabeth teasingly protests that Jane has enough regret and compassion for them both.
When Jane remarks that Wickham had such an expression of goodness, Elizabeth says that between the two men, one got all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. Then she expresses wry regret over the loss of Darcy as a spur to her wit. She tells Jane that though she can make light of it now, the discovery made her uncomfortable, even unhappy, and she confesses that her mistakes of judgment were the natural consequence of the prejudices she had been encouraging. They then discuss whether Wickham's character ought to be made known to their acquaintances. But given that it would expose Darcy's sister without his permission, that the prejudice against Darcy is so strong that people would be disinclined to believe her, and that Wickham would soon be leaving Meryton for good, they resolve to say nothing about it. Elizabeth's inner tumult is allayed by this conversation, but she dares not relate the other half of Darcy's letter. Only if there were a perfect understanding between Bingley and Jane could the truth be related, and then it would better come from Bingley than from herself. Now that she has leisure to observe Jane, Elizabeth can see that she is not happy, and that she is still very much in love. Mrs. Bennet addresses the matter in her characteristic contradictions, saying she will never speak of it again, and going on to talk all about it, calling him undeserving, and then lamenting that Jane has not the least chance to get him now. She consoles herself with the idea that Jane will die of a broken heart, and then he will be sorry. Elizabeth cannot take comfort in this expectation. Mrs. Bennet then turns the conversation to talk of the Collinses, speaking bitterly of their comfortable income and suggesting they should be ashamed of owning an estate that is not lawfully their own.' 